Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And the hot streak of season six guests continues. Woohoo! We have a returning favorite, a new inductee to our three timers club. Yay! And one of the first guests we ever had on. Ever. Ever. Eric Como. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I've been looking Thank forward to this back. all day. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do I get a plaque like <gasps> with my name? You and, should like, get a plaque. The, the dates <laughs> and the episodes. Oh my god. Caleb. I feel like Mark was our first three timer and he requested a belt, which That's I'm guessing right. was wrestling, wrestling inspired. inspired. Yeah, like a wrestling belt, not a you know, nice oh. belt you wear with slacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's my a husband. Plaque would be better. Yeah. Listeners, if you want us to give our three timers plaques, please give us money so we can make our <laughs> <just> plaques. <laughs> We're kids. <laughs> Are we? No, we <laughs> If we want oh, our clips to f- remain under fair use, we're kidding. Oh, that's right. We're kidding. Hi. Oh, yeah. We're not making any money off this. We, 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 we really, really are. <laughs> we, we have lost money off this. Yeah. <laughs> but it's been so fun. It's worth it. <laughs> anyway, lots of money. Lots Inflation. of money. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, website. These fancy microphones. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh. So, Eric, are you still joining us from Peter Krause's hometown of Roseville, Minnesota? <laughs> I am. I am. And today we got our inaugural big first snowfall it is november 14th which is actually like pretty good for us it's pretty late in the season for us (laughs) oh man usually usually it's usually it's like april may wow oh my gosh no it's like it's usually like an october november thing but uh we we held off for quite a while it felt like and then it was like a light switch it was like boom 20s That's a shock. It's a double-edged sword of climate change. Like, well, I like it being (laughs) warm in November. If only the planet weren't dying. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Uh, Because the same in New York, it was like 70s until very recently. And now it's like the 40s, which is not even that cold, but it at least feels like fall. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend that ran the marathon out there, and she said that it was like one of the warmest marathons in New York in a while. Wow. And she said it was very, uh, you know, it was unexpected. Is it bad that I know I'm visiting Caleb um, next week and I'm like, you could stay in the 40s. That would be okay. It's in the 20s here. So that's terrible. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. It's in the 20s in Kansas too. Yeah. In fact, right now, like today at school, everyone was like, I wonder if I'll see you tomorrow. Big snowstorm supposed to happen tonight. Oh, so yeah, all the kids are wishful thinking. Yep, yeah. they're all very excited. We'll see what when happens. When the era of COVID and remote schooling, is there ever going to be a snow day again? Oh, yeah. Yes, that's a great question. In the past couple of years, we <laughs> we sometimes didn't have a snow day. We had a remote learning day, and everyone was like, what is this? You know, they were so mad. But now, honestly, we're not really set up for it anymore. Um, Like, no one really knows my WebEx information anymore, thankfully. I never want to hear the word WebEx again, which is like the poor man's Zoom. I don't know why 
we didn't just do Zoom. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And uh, anyway, yeah, I think if if we ever have a snow day, it's just a snow day, which is, I think is nice because it's a time-honored tradition of a break for everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's a mental health day. It is a mental health day, yeah. Yeah, so. it would be strange if the movie Snow Day turned into just a relic <laughs> of a thing. Yeah. Like you're showing your kids one day and they're like, Dad, what is this? What, what is are you even that? talking about? <laughs> we just go to school well, on the computer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. Dad, what's snow? Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, we're so happy to have you back, Eric. Same. We're here in the final season. I got to say, I don't think this is a spoiler, but since we're in the final season and this will be your last appearance with us, I feel like I should mention that I watched the series finale of Parenthood Aww. with Eric and yeah. his now husband, Aaron, and our friend and former guest, Stephanie Corvino. That's so nice. We all got together at Eric and Aaron's place mm-hmm. and watched it. Man. Yeah, and if you if you want to feel like time has really flown by, this coming weekend, we celebrate six years of marriage. Whoa. And so... Wow. I, I like looked back at this episode and it's in it aired in like 2014. Yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, that's so that's just like so close to when we got married. And it and it was only in just very shortly after parenthood ended that we also uh moved from New York to, to Minnesota. So wow. kind of like yeah, it's a it's a certainly had a had a big part of our life. Yeah. You know, Uh that really is one of my favorite things about TV is like having all these memories associated with where you were when you watched episodes and they like some sometimes like really are mile markers for your own life. Like, like when things were originally on and then revisiting a show can feel like revisiting your past. It is, I think, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, Caleb says that about the, about the finale and I can just distinctly remember the furniture I had, wow, and the way the way it felt sitting in that chair watching the final episode, and it's just so interesting. Wow, I wow. love that. Do I sound old? I'm, I'm <laughs> clearly getting so old. I'm uh. missing about the chairs I used to have. <laughs> I didn't think you sounded old, but I do. I do have to admit, I think that an old person would reminisce about the chairs you used to have. <laughs> I do have to say that. So I don't know. It's a paradox, I think. It was Ikea. Don't, let's not kid I love it. Well, we're not at the finale yet. Nice. For now, we're focusing on Parenthood Season 6, Episode 3. We're in the waiting room for the finale. <laughs> That's the name of the yeah. episode. Yeah. Silly. Season 6, Episode 3, The Waiting Room. It was written by Jessica Goldberg, directed by Patrick R. Norris. It originally aired on October 9th, 2014. Here's the TV Guide synopsis. The family waits for... Wait, I should be dramatic. The family waits for news about Zeke. (laughs) Meanwhile, Julia and Joel... Wait, I gotta say, meanwhile, Julia and Joel discuss their relationship status. Amber faces the future with Drew's support. Sarah attempts to get to know Ruby. Bad news affects the luncheonette. And Crosby looks for a way out. A way out. Mm. I started this episode and my first note was shit right off the bat with Zeke and Amber. Parenthood season six is not kidding around. Yeah, no. Because I honestly, you see those two together and you just know, (laughs) oh, 
It's going to be <laughs> a doozy. Yeah, Buckle go. up. Yeah. Something legitimately interesting, I think, occurred to me on my second watch when this first scene between Amber and Zeke happened, which is that Zeke has such distinct relationships with so many characters, I feel like. He mm. has a unique dynamic, all his own, with each of his kids. Yeah. And with Camille, and with Amber, and with Drew, and with Christina, I would say. Yeah. And maybe it's, that's a consequence of him being such a forceful character himself. I like that. I don't know. But to me, it adds real richness and authenticity to him, even when you can't stand him. <laughs> yeah. In the way that some characters, like, I, mean, I feel like we're harping on this a little bit, but Jasmine is like hardly in season six yet. Yeah, still. still. It's like, what's Jasmine's relationship like with anyone beyond Crosby? And I feel like we don't really know. Zeke has said some vaguely racist things. <laughs> it's not There's good. There's that. It's not good. <laughs> I don't think he means any harm, but still, I might yeah. not want to have a special or maybe, bond. And now that I'm thinking of it, maybe Zeke's relationship with all these people is because of his position in the family, which is he's the head of it. Yeah. So it makes sense that a lot of people are interacting with him, whereas like, well, Jasmine's just Crosby's wife who married in a few years ago. I guess it makes sense that she doesn't have a strong relationship with everyone because she's sort of just one spoke yeah, on or one branch on the family tree. And Zeke is the head of the tree. I don't know. The trunk? What's the head of the tree, do you think? <laughs> anyway. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I thought I'd run with this little storyline and let's talk about Amber first. Yeah. The, can I just say, I think this is one of my favorite storylines of the series the amber storyline mm. in yeah. this episode yes amber wow. and drew go to I, I don't know what it is exactly i loved every second of it me too everything that happened yeah and i was just really overcome like by how much i was laughing and how much i was tearing up and i was like i feel like this storyline is the best of parenthood i was just yeah i loved it eric did you love it is it a three-way <laughs> tie <laughs> i what I love is I love that we have seen this conversation between the siblings numerous times. And it seems that over and over, she's looking for approval. Mm. And this time around, she doesn't get approval. And instead, they essentially, they like team up together. I like that. I think that was the part that I liked the most that he wasn't willing to just say no or say yes. He was like, no, I'm going to go with you. Yeah. And that was that was a little different. I love that. I also love how they trade off being the more mature one. Yeah. Depending on what situation it is. Like when mm -hmm. Drew is mooning over Natalie, or I guess mooning over Amy too. Mooning in Amber general. swoops in and she's, okay, we're going to go to a party and we're going to have a good time and you're going to get over this. And that's exactly what he needs. Where when he needs a place to crash, she's like, you're going to stay here, but you're going to go to class. And, you know, she's more mature than him in that situation. But in this situation, he saw it coming from a mile away yep. and didn't let on. But I thought he's wiser than her about this. Yeah. And thank God that he's there. Thank God that she included him because she needed that little angel on her shoulder Aww. to keep mm. her from doing something she shouldn't do. And when you see Drew tell her that he's going with 
you can see in her face that she's actually really relieved that that was his reaction. I love that. And that's like such a sweet moment because she has come in there thinking that she's got it all together. She's actually going to go and communicate that as well, that she is going to raise the child on her own, that she doesn't need help, et cetera. But it's so clear when he says, I'm going with you, that she wants the help. That she actually does need somebody there, which is really sweet. Yeah. One thing I didn't love about the storyline, Amber's black hair. Ah, I like it. I like it. No? I just, I guess we've seen her with so many hairstyles that I, it's not that I dislike this one. I just think, well, this is not the best one. (laughs) So... Is it? Spin the wheel again <laughs> and let's try a new one. While we're talking about looks, I just want to say that I thought Amber and Drew both looked fantastic in this episode. Drew's got the, like, there's that moment where Drew is like in the like t-shirt and the dark jeans, I think. And he's just like leaned against that classic car waiting for Amber in Wyoming. And I'm like, what is this? Why are you like <laughs> modeling right now? Like, it's just like ridiculous. <laughs> and then Amber, like I was fascinated by what the show put her in for this like pivotal moment of telling her ex that he's going to have a baby. She's just wearing like the shortest shorts we've ever seen. No bra. And just, oh yeah. Just like she's a, like dressed like, like a young Dakota fan. Yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> she's like, she's in like cowboy boots. Yeah. It's like, did you just pull out the boots just for this road trip? I feel like, like this is very is interesting. Is she just like trying to dress Wyoming? I couldn't, <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell, but weirdly I loved it. And I think it might be exactly what Caleb was talking about before for because Drew just looks more mature. She looks like someone who doesn't have it all together because she kind of is dressing so much younger than she usually does. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it was just a, it was a fascinating choice. It wasn't like dressed up at all as I might expect if you were like going to go travel and tell someone really important news. And so, I don't even know exactly. I can't get my head totally around the choice, but I'm never really distracted by wardrobe and in this case I was like, "Why this outfit?" Like I was just Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have I have one more. Okay. Yeah. Wardrobe thing in this episode that's like a little strange. Okay. I think it's strange that when they go to the to the hospital Many of them are dressed in semi-formal wear. Like Ooh. Adam's got like a like a button down tucked in and whatnot. It's like you all knew this was happening. Yeah. This was a scheduled procedure. Yeah. You all knew that it was gonna be a long, long procedure. You're gonna be waiting a long time. Like, why did you not dress more comfortably? That's so huh. interesting. Yeah. Probably because they were gonna be on camera. Camille is in, Camille is in is in like is in like a button down herself with a blazer. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, I would be not fit to be seen by other humans. No. If I knew I was going to be in a waiting room for six plus hours. Yeah. Maybe Amber was just thinking about the long, long drive. Because Caleb, did you look up that drive? It was <laughs> funny you should ask. Well, oh. first, first of all, I thought Wyoming sure looked a lot like Southern California. <laughs> the like... <laughs> Rushy hills and stuff. I, but, you know, I don't know. I've never been to Wyoming. I haven't either. My, my sister Lindsay did live in Idaho for a while, which now I can't even remember. On a clear day, you could see 
the Tetons, but I don't know if that was in Montana or Wyoming, and now I'm embarrassing myself. But, yeah, I was like, this, I don't think this looks like the real Wyoming, but whatever. At one point, Drew mentions that they have 18 hours to drive back. Now, he sounds like he's just picking a random number to exaggerate. So I wasn't, like, holding him to the 18 hours figure, but it made me curious. So I chose a Wyoming town that looked the closest to Berkeley. I'm like, okay, what's the shortest drive that this could be? And there was a town in the southwest corner of Wyoming called Evanston. And Evanston to Berkeley is just under 12 hours. Oof. Okay. But oh. then I wondered, That's the okay, what's the, what's the farthest I could find? So there was a point in northeastern Wyoming called Colony, and that was over 20 hours by car. Wow. So <laughs> it really could have been 18 hours, depending on where Ryan is living. That is a serious road trip. Like, they probably would have had a hotel room and needed to have brought bags and stuff, but... I think that's okay that they didn't get into yeah. all that. Yeah. Once we were in Ryan's little house, or I guess that's his mom's house. I think so. There's medicine bottles everywhere. Yeah. The one medication I could make out a label for was called Tramadol, which a quick Google told me was an opiate, a narcotic, mm. and highly addictive. Oh, no. Well, good job, prop department, because oh, that, is concerning. that made me yeah very disconcerted for Ryan. I remembered Amber telling Ryan like I remembered the basics of this episode that they went on a trip and it was it looked kind of like it was in a desert which I don't think Wyoming is but whatever (laughs) I did not remember how Ryan took it and I thought his reaction was kind of scary like Mm -hmm. he treated Amber like such a life raft when they were engaged yeah and that gleam in his eye, I felt like came back in full force yes. when she yes. said she was having his baby. And I was like, oh, 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 my goodness. Yes. The kneeling, the like, you know, kind of putting his head in her lap. I yeah. was like, oh, yeah. no. Here everything we go. changed once you said it. I'm like, no, stop making everything change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many times in your life can everything change? It shouldn't be very many. <laughs> I But I came away, you know, Melissa, to your point about this was one of your favorite storylines ever. It gave me a deeper appreciation for the character of Ryan as depicted in the whole series. Yeah. Because this really made me feel like he is a very nuanced and sympathetic portrayal of a deeply dysfunctional person. Yeah, I think so. And he doesn't seem like a monster. And no. I, he isn't. I think he's got a great heart yeah, and I think he's really trying and wants to be solid and stable and healthy, but he's got some battles to fight. And I I don't know. I just thought this character has a lot of dignity. They're portraying him with a lot of dignity, both the show and the actor, but I wouldn't want him anywhere near my infant. No, you know, I mean, he keeps reminding me of that ex of mine. I've mentioned that a few times, but I do remember how I would think I just can't get pregnant. Like, I would think that when I was dating my ex, I was like literally kind of frightened to imagine a future where we had a child. And then that would sort of echo in my mind. And I'd be like, why are you with someone who, (laughs) if you got pregnant (laughs) by them, it scares you? But I think seeing this storyline play out I think it sort of helps explain it because I think 
it's a scary reality that Amber has found herself in. It's really interesting. Yeah. Let's dive into some clips. Okay, let's do that. So maybe my favorite scene was Drew and Amber in Wyoming while he's leaning against the car. Oh my God. Looking like a model. So good. Hey. Hey. That took forever. Yeah, sorry. I didn't That's mean to be waiting. Went like weirdly great. <laughs> what do you mean? Just like he's, I don't know. He, he was like so excited and happy about it. And you know, it's, I don't know. It's confusing for me. It's weird being here, like seeing him and yeah. it's hard for me to see yeah, him again. And I mean, he was, seemed like it was kind of a mess to me. I mean. Oh, I don't, I don't think it was that bad. Let's just talk about it in the car. Cause we have like 18 hours to I, drive. I wanted to talk to you about that Amber. just for a second. Drew, I'm, right, well, I'm going to stay for a little exactly bit. This is exactly why I here. came. You're not staying here. Okay, I am staying here, but you don't have to stay. I want you to go back and what I'll be back. What are you thinking? What am I Amber, thinking? I'm having a baby what? with this guy and I'm I- not having a baby with him. You, you came yes, here to I tell am. him He's... that you're not gonna have it with him. I know that, but after talking to him, point. I still need some, I need to figure some things out. And he's the father of my child. I, I can't just- He's a mess. What do you expect him to do? You couldn't even marry him. True, this you're is gonna different. You're gonna raise a baby yes, with him now? Yes, because this is different. You no, mean, it's not was... different. It's exactly the same. He's not gonna change. That's not true. He you never don't... changed. It's, it's, it's like dad. You know, he's just gonna say a bunch of stuff and not live it's up not to like it. Which that. You, yes, it's it is. It's not like that. It's, it's exactly very the same. different. You, you think that you're gonna fix him or no. something? Well, I'm thinking now about him. He needs me right now to help him. Getting together, getting married is gonna change him. Now it's oh, having a baby is gonna change him. You're not Drew, gonna change him. I'm just trying to help because he you needs. You can't. No, you can't help him. That's it. You you can't help. If you were gonna help, it would have already happened. I'm sorry that you that you feel this way, but I. I'm staying to figure some things out with him. Okay. Why don't I'm gonna leave for like an hour and then I'm gonna come back. You can go deal with it, but you're not staying here. I'll be back. I love the fly. Me too. I'm not leaving you in Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might I love be. I he says Wyoming. Wyoming. Like it's, <laughs> it's of all places. Terrible joke. Yeah. In, Wyoming. That's my favorite instance of him saying Wyoming, but I have a second favorite, which is what if he's not even in Wyoming and we just drove to Wyoming? <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was my other one. Yeah. <laughs> um, that scene's incredible, right? I mean, that's just like... I literally wrote, this was incredible. Yeah. It felt like such an authentic way to show Amber getting sucked back into a dangerous cycle. Yeah. And Drew just felt like the perfect person to have anticipated that and to call her on it. And maybe the only person who like stood a chance of getting through to her. I think so. I don't think even her mom could have. Sarah like, couldn't. Yeah. No, like as evidenced by their fights last season when she was engaged to Ryan, that never went anywhere good. Even though I think, I think Sarah had similar concerns that Drew is having right now. And yet yeah. somehow... Their connection is so special that it it works. I and and I love Sarah, but I think like sometimes her advice and concern can have a bit of a condescending edge that I don't think she intends. But like you know, just she's seeing all this in the rear view. Like, oh my god, don't do the same thing I did. 
Drew being, you know, Amber's age and everything and like them having gone through being betrayed by their dad together and stuff. Like, I think him saying that Ryan is like their dad means something different than when Sarah says it. Yeah. I was curious about that. Like, do you think that that actually is effective? Like him bringing up their dad and him tying it to him. I, I was wondering whether or not like, in, in that type of scenario when he all he wants to do is get her to get in the car and for them to leave yeah is bringing that dagger out <laughs> is that is that the best idea that's a like, good point is that, is that effective wow i i actually think it is but again maybe only from him because like if sarah said that i think you're right melissa it would be with a hindsight to it where she'd be saying I should have known better and Mm. then the implication there is you should know better yeah too Mm. Amber which then just feels like judgment Drew likes their dad more than Amber does yeah like Mm. and is more forgiving and is also their dad's child like yeah no one has a more similar relationship to Seth Mm. uh, as Amber than Drew does yeah yeah. And so, yeah, I think for him to say, also the way he delivered it made it seem like it wasn't something he had contemplated for a long time, which I feel like, wouldn't you have contemplated that for a long time? <laughs> but even if it wasn't, I feel like that was the perfect way to present it to her. Yeah. So yeah. That it wasn't like, I've been sitting on this forever and now I'm going to whip this dagger out. And instead it's like, yes. hey, you know what just occurred to me? He's kind of like our dad. Yeah. That is kind of how he yeah. says it. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. And his his idea of like, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave for an hour and I'm going to come back. That's like suddenly, like suddenly Drew is 45. The- <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, that was brilliant. Yeah, that was literally what I was about to ask is, do you guys think that was a good idea? You both just called it brilliant. So yes. What was brilliant yeah. about it? Yeah. I think that it gives her time to not be under his microscope and to just cool off and maybe assess, but it, it's also so finite. Like the clock is ticking, Amber. Yeah. I will come back for you and I expect you to do what you said you wanted to come here to do. Yeah. It's also so empathetic, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's saying to her, I know that this is hard for you. Yeah. To yeah. like come, come all this way for him to do this to you where he kind of, brings you back up and inflates you to this point of thinking that everything's going to be okay and whatnot. And so for you to come down off of that, I need you to spend one more hour with him thinking about how this would actually work. Yeah. And then I'm going to pick you up and we're going to leave, you know? And that's like, I mean, if he, he's being so empathetic because in that moment, if he, he knows that if she gets in the car she'll do nothing but just resent the fact that that he made her get in the car and she'll think of all these different ways that it could have turned out if she would have stayed yeah you're so right it makes it her decision you know it's like yeah right and it totally is her decision because even though he plants that idea of an hour I feel like she enters that room totally different she's like okay Drew has noticed some things. I'm going to bring them up. And then she saw the red flags. It was like 
somehow the rose-colored glasses came off or something. Yeah, lifting the veil. Yeah, exactly. I just have to ask, like, what's going on with you and, like, the the pill stuff? Yeah, I know. It's it's time. I've been, I'm, I've been wanting to. I'm going to call the VA and set an appointment with a doctor and, and get them to wean me off, you know, help me wean myself off it. I want you to know that I will always want you to be in this baby's life. I'm going to. I know. I'm but... going to be. Okay. I'm going to be your teammate in this, and I'm going to be a father to that child. Everything changed the minute you came here today. Ryan. Everything. Ryan. I believe in you. Just like I've always believed in you. What are you doing? But you have a lot of work to do. And I can't do it with you because I have to start taking care of myself and of this baby right now. And I'm sorry, but you're just not ready yet. Well, I didn't know that you were pregnant until today. That line struck me as really sad when he said, I didn't know you were pregnant until today. Like, it wasn't like accusing her or anything, I, you know, like she told me earlier. It wasn't that. It was just, I didn't know I had a reason to get my life together until you just yeah. told me. I don't know. Ugh. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of it like that, but that is sad. Yeah. And yet also proves her point. Yeah. Right. Like, you need right. to have a reason to do it. You can't just do yeah. it for yourself. Like, you can't, yeah. Then that means you're not ready to do this. Yeah. It's like, so you so you agree, you agree that you would have, <laughs> you have more to do and that you would have started earlier if you would have known earlier. So, yeah. like, clearly you know that there's work to be done. Here. Yeah, well put. Yeah. I just was so struck by her maturity, her courage. Yeah to walk in there and say that to someone who she loves or at least has feels love towards, even if she's not in love with him. Yeah. But I thought it, it really made sense that that responsibility of caring for a child might wake her up to what she really needs to do the, yeah. in, in a way that just looking out for herself wouldn't. Like if it's just her getting married, mm. maybe that's a risk she could take. But it's like, no, now there's a little innocent other life in the mix. Yeah, That could maybe sober you up real fast and say, nope, not doing this with you. It's going to be hard enough as it is. I can't take care of you and them. Yeah. I had this crazy thought during this storyline, which was, here was my exact like process of thinking this. First, I was like, boy, you know what? It would have been a lot easier for her if she just hadn't told Ryan. And then I was like, whoa, that would be like sort of getting in on the beginning part of Jasmine's storyline back when she was first pregnant with Jabbar. Like, oh. like it was just interesting to see a situation where you're like, oh, do you have to tell him? But then we know what it's like, I guess, when someone isn't told and then they, they don't know. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because I'm sure that Crosby in many ways would have not been scary the way that um, Ryan was, but he had his own things going on. Like he was flaky and, and maybe not responsible and stuff like that. But it did make me really sympathetic to like why a person might find themselves pregnant and just want to keep it to themselves. 
Like so, yeah. anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Want to hear my weird thought yes. about the storyline? Yeah. So Drew is talking her out of having the baby with Ryan, like yeah. raising it, and Zeke reveals Amber is going to have the first great grandchild. And I realized on my second viewing, technically Drew had the first <gasps> great grandchild. Whoa! Yeah, because he was with yeah Amy. with Amy, and they had the abortion. Just didn't keep it. So like, which I'm not judging. I no, you know, no, I, but Zeke I, doesn't know that, right? Probably Zeke doesn't know that. I bet. And yeah. wow, and and I don't know that it really affects anything. Just like wow, if they'd had it, Drew, who's not the oldest, not the second oldest, yeah, <laughs> and how how strange. And, and this probably just speaks to our culture in a way. But we always think of like the girl who gets pregnant, mm-hmm. and you would think, well, who's going to have the first grandchild? Well, one of the girls, right? No, one of the guys, mm. because for every baby, there's a father somewhere. You yeah. know? Mm. That's super just interesting. It was strange and that he's talking her out of it. And it's like, you know, he's actually kind of been here before, Amber. Mm. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. He made the call that he didn't want to be a parent. And he's telling you, wake up to what kind of parent you do want to be or, or who you want to parent with. Mm-hmm. Although Drew wanted Amy to have That's the true. baby. Yeah, he he was devastated that she chose not to. But I wonder if now he's grateful, you know, like in that moment, in that hopeful, like very naive, I think, moment of like us being in high school and we're in love and we can make this work. But I bet now that he's in college and on a certain path, I wonder if he's really grateful that he isn't a teen dad. And I wonder if that colors how he sees his sister who he loves very much. Like I, I am so fascinated by the fact that like for Zeke, this is uncomplicated and I'm glad in many ways because I'm, I'm glad he doesn't like shame her or make her feel bad about getting pregnant or anything like that. But I'm also like, wow, she's young and poor and on her own and not, yeah. and not in college. And <laughs> Zeke's like, it's wonderful. <laughs> like, like, no hesitation. And on the one hand, I'm like, great. I remember last week your sister said that. Like, that's how you treat it. And I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> last week when your sister said that, I was like, I'm in. I agree. But now that I'm thinking about it again, I'm like, is it? Like, like, like I mean, there's no concern at all. This To me, this doesn't seem strictly happy. I mean, it seems happy. Don't get me wrong. But not uncomplicated, straightforward, happy the way yeah. it is when people like who are 30 and together and have wanted a baby get pregnant. So I don't know. For Zeke, it's just like first great grandchild. And I'm like, <laughs> well, but yes, yes, but look. I don't care how how it happens. <laughs> just won it. Yeah. I don't know. And Amber, I'm sad to, now that I'm talking about it, I am sad that she is tied to Ryan for the rest of her life. I maybe shouldn't say that, but I am. The way that I didn't want to be tied to my ex for the rest of my life. That's not what we're supposed to be taking away from any of this. Yeah. I realize that. The, the, you saying <laughs> that makes me think of that line from the movie Marriage Story. Oh, yeah. Where one of them Ooh, screams, yeah. I can't believe I have to know you forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's... Uh, <sighs> but it's true. It's and true. She's, she's going to have to know Ryan forever. Yeah. Mm. I hope that ends up being good, but yeah, it could be. Yeah. I mean, there's worse people. Yeah, for sure. For sure, but there's better people too. Yeah. It's a shame she and Mark didn't work out. 
<laughs> Back when she had the crush. Like, would it be inappropriate? Well, now it would be inappropriate for a different reason. Yeah. Like, don't date your mom's ex. <laughs> yeah. Those two crazy kids were never going to make it work. It was just one obstacle after another. So First, he was my teacher. Then yeah, he was my, my mom's, mom's ex-fiance. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're sure are star-crossed. When can you know? we have sex? <laughs> <laughs> I've gone into a weird uh, area. (laughs) We said we're loopy when we record at night, and we are. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. Eric, did you have a crazy thought that was inspired by that storyline the way we did? You don't have to. I I didn't have any crazy thoughts, but I did have the thought when he makes a statement about like, oh, yeah, I have to call the VA. And I, it was another reminder for me of like why I love parenthood so much, which is they took storylines that are pretty straightforward, topics that have likely been covered by other, other shows before, but they just turn the dial like a little bit Yeah. in the fact that like they remind us like, oh yeah, he served. Oh yeah, that's an issue that our country has to think about yeah. and we need to do better. And like, it was just another like little nod to, and you know, the way that they handle all, all types of topics. They, they do this where they just they have a way of just turning it a little bit to the left where it's like you you get a new perspective, you get an added layer of detail that hasn't technically been handled like that in the past by a, by another show. And it's just great. Man. Yeah. And you saying that makes me wonder something about Ryan. I mentioned that his character feels like a portrayal of a very dysfunctional person. And now I'm wondering... Did him serving in the army create that dysfunction or did it draw him to it because he Mm. was dysfunctional? That's a great question. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard of lots of people who, especially like with behavioral issues, who just are getting into trouble constantly. When they go into the armed forces, it fixes a lot of that stuff. Just the rigid, rigid discipline and structure Mm. that doesn't Mm. give them any room to indulge those poor choices and bad ideas. And it kind of reforms them. I mean, it's kind of a cliche too, like I'm going to send this problem child to military school. Well, they're going to be rules enforced then. And that can be really helpful to some people. But then also, especially someone like Ryan, who's been in combat and endured traumas, yeah. that's going to create issues of its own. And, and you know, I'm sure they could be a blend of both. Maybe he would have been an addict even if he never served. Or maybe he would be way worse and have absolutely no structure or discipline in his life. Or I don't know. That's yeah. fascinating. It is interesting also, like from a writing perspective, when you think about history in 2014, that's right at really like a very high time when we we were talking about just how dysfunctional things were at the VA. Yeah. And, you know, of course there's still quite a quite a ways to go. But I mean, from a from a writer's perspective to essentially mention that is interesting because there there's a whole nother lane of interesting storylines that you could have probably probably gone down with that because it was so timely at that moment in time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it makes me think of the the issues you would hear also about. I mean, I guess the VA was a part of that story, but just our nation's treatment of its veterans. 
mm-hmm. that they the the homelessness that they experience mm-hmm. and the mental health and the suicide rates yeah. and mm-hmm. all that and these are the people that we should be honoring and protecting the most because they have yeah. given so much. Yeah. Man. You're right. You're right, Melissa. This is a great <laughs> storyline. So it just it just is very deep. Yeah. But yeah. it also has like fun and joy. I spy. Like yeah, it has yeah. I spy. Yeah. It's it's exactly like I just think it's lights out. And it made me realize that I love the whole episode. And it made me realize that I mean I know we're just three episodes into season six, but I'm like is this my favorite season? Like, it's just completely taking me aback <laughs> how much I'm loving this last season. And it might help that season five is decidedly my least favorite season. And so, like, it just feels like a big relief to me. Like, I don't... and I don't, Like a return to form. Yeah. Like, and I wouldn't even say that season five was bad. It just felt really lackluster. And this doesn't. It feels like they're just hitting all the things that make me love the show. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I like Crosby again. Like, I kind of hated him all season five. I didn't remember that. And now I'm like, oh, yay, yeah, Crosby is one of my favorites. And I don't know. So, anyway. Well, let's put your love for this episode and this season to the test. Okay. I'm excited. What do you think of Ruby? (laughs) Oh, I hate her. (laughs) My first note on this was, I would have busted that little brat the second she put that lipstick in her purse. Show her who's in charge. I will say, I work with teenagers every single day, and she is exceptionally rude. I mean, like, like ruder than like 99% of students I've ever taught. I'm like, this is next level. Like, I don't, I know teenagers and most of them aren't like this. Having said that, I, I find it believable. I do find it believable, but it's, it's rare. I think. Oh, when she tells her reds for old people and then says, you should get the red. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I would have showed her the back of my hand. <laughs> Just, oh, oh, no, she I mean, I wouldn't worst. have, that's inappropriate, but <laughs> Would have wanted In to. my mind, that's what I would have been doing. Ugh. Let's discuss how Sarah broaches this topic with the girl's father. <laughs> I don't know why the way I face that. <laughs> Wait, before with you, the girls, with the girls, before you play it, I did want to say that Jenny Lewis um, is is singing in the background of that um, shoplifting scene, and she's one of my very very favorite singer songwriters. Okay, I'm done. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. what was the song? It was. Oh gosh, it's the first song off of her Voyager album, and I'm blanking on the name. It's like head 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 underwater. Ooh, makes me want to shoplift. Yeah, I know it's real great shoplifting music. It's a great great song. It's really catchy. Anyway. I'm done. Shout out Jenny Lewis. We love you. Come on the show. It's not happening. All right, go. <laughs> hey, do you have a minute? Yeah, yeah, Because Something happened with Ruby today. This one's pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. And this one, there's not much difference. Do you want to talk about it later? All right, yeah. Doing it again. No, no, I'm no, doing no. It again. I'm not paying attention, right? I'm looking okay. right at you. Oh, man, you look pretty good. Oh. I like the whole thing. Thanks. Yeah. What happened? We just had a funny... Ruby um... said you had fun, by the way. Yeah. Did she really? Well, she didn't, I mean, she didn't come out and say it. Right. But she didn't, she would have came in really complaining and if something went bad. So I think you guys, I think you hit it off. No, I think she would have complained. She's definitely in a different place than when I saw her last. And I don't know if that's being a teenager or the fact that we're together. Yeah, well. And that's fine. 
But she she took a lipstick and just put it in her bag and didn't pay for it. She's like shoplift? Yeah. No. She doesn't shoplift. Ruby doesn't shoplift. No, she did today. And I asked her about it and she just shrugged it off, walked away and I, Are you sure you saw it right? I mean, you might have made a mistake, maybe, because I don't think she does that. No, She's never I'm... done that with me. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. What do I do? I don't, uh... oh, God. I suck at this, you know? I suck at being a parent. That might be the most I've ever liked Hank. He's very endearing and... I first want to say that I don't think that Ruby shoplifting lipstick means Hank sucks at being a parent. No. Like, I get why he would immediately feel that way, or just him not knowing how to handle it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get why he might feel that way, but I think, well, it doesn't really have a lot to do with you, I don't think. That's no. a hard situation to navigate for anyone. And also, Sandy's been parenting her most. So, like, I don't think you're super responsible for getting her to this point. But is that his point? Like, I haven't been around? Well, maybe. That could be, too. But first of all, to the point of Hank being endearing, the way that he, once he actually looked at Sarah, took that second to go, oh, gosh, you look so pretty. I know. Oh, well, that. And it (laughs) seemed so genuine. It did. It's like, well, that's going to make me like you. And I, I'm really appreciating how the show is drawing attention to Hank and Sarah navigating his potential autism. Yeah. Very deliberately, but very undramatically. Like earlier in the episode when she and Ruby are leaving and Sarah is sh- telling him her plans yeah. and he's just going about his business and she's saying, Hank, register, yeah. register. Yeah. Just saying like acknowledge that you hear me and know what I'm saying. That's great. And it's not a big plot point, Mm -mm. but it shows that, okay, they have figured out some ways to tackle this obstacle in their relationship. They're both in on it. They're working together. I like to see that. That's why I thought he was endearing as well, was that that moment of him even catching himself. Because, you know, she was like, I want to talk to you about something and he still focused on his work. And so she was like, should we do it later? And for him to be like, oh, I'm, I'm doing it. Like for him to be like yeah. realizing I loved that. And then normally I would really hate how he doesn't want to believe Sarah. I might call it gaslighting. I might be like, she's telling you what she saw, Hank. You know, and I would use it as an excuse to not like him. But I totally got it in this case because I think he does believe her, at least eventually, I think it's so totally not about Sarah. I think it's totally just focused on him not wanting this to be true. And that's hard for me to blame. You know, I think anybody wouldn't want to believe that their perfect kid could do something illegal or that could get them into trouble or that maybe meant that they're a different person than you thought they were. Even if it's a small thing like that, that it's like, oh, you're on a path I don't want you to be on. My God, you want to hear a crazy thought I just had? Yeah. So how old is Ruby? 14? I think so. Is that how old Hattie was in the pilot? She might have been 15, but oh my gosh, are you thinking about the pot? The pot. And when she goes, sorry, I'm not the girl you thought I was. Yeah. Which I always thought was a little laying it on thick. But Hank learning that she has been shoplifting is that same kind of moment of like, oh, she's not the girl I thought she was. I thought she was my little girl, my little sweet girl. And actually, she's a teenager who can do stuff like smoke pot and shoplift and 
Wow. Damn. And it makes me cut Hattie a little slack for like being so dramatic. Like you're just figuring out who you are and testing limits and she never copped attitude like Ruby, by the way. I mean she had attitude. Not that severe. But not... Well, and if she did, it was over like, Can I please have the door back on my room and the bars <laughs> off my windows? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yes. So I loved this episode, even though I don't love that particular storyline that much. I still found it compelling, and I did get where Sarah was a big part of it. It wasn't like she was unattached, like in the premiere of season six, where it felt a little bit like, now it's the Hank and Sandy and Ruby show, and Sarah was like nowhere around. I'm like, yeah. Now, to the actual shoplifting, do you think Sarah handled it correctly? Like, should she have said something in the store to someone and just busted her? Or should she have let it slide and presented it to Hank so that Ruby's parent can decide how to handle it? Or is it secret option number three? (laughs) What do you think, Eric? Well, I think like she's had so many of these tough conversations with her own children Mm -hmm. that I was surprised that she backed away from it. She seems like the type of person that would say something and would want to have that heart to heart. She's so eager, you can tell, to have this relationship with her. And so I was expecting her to have that moment where she calls her out and they have that heart to heart over why she's doing it and sort of how she's feeling. But she also just really wants to be her friend as well. You know, and we've seen that come into play with Amber as well, where like at times she wants to be less of a mom and she wants to be more of a friend. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes gets gets her in trouble. And this is one of those moments where I think she lets it happen, not because she doesn't care, but because she doesn't want Ruby to be upset or hate her even more. Yeah. And I think that's complicated in this situation by the fact that friend is, at least at the moment, maybe the relationship she should be aiming to have with Ruby. Oh, that's interesting. Because, like, she's not Ruby's mom. Yeah. And I think she knows that for sure. And she's not Ruby's stepmother either. True. And I think she knows that too. So I, I did feel like she was very aware of the limits of her authority over this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I liked how she told Hank. Mm, very it much. It seemed very not judgmental. Like, it seemed like she was very aware, I'm about to tell you bad news that's going to make you feel terrible about yourself and your daughter. Yeah. And so it was, like, compassionate and no judgment at all. Yeah. And that, that makes me wonder, is she trying to put herself in Hank's position like, how do I wish people would have addressed my kids' bad oh. behavior with me? Yeah. And I think she often, with her family especially, felt, whether it was accurate or not, felt singled out and targeted and judged. Yeah. And so I felt like she was really trying not to do that. But I also was like, well, maybe she should have just, like, said, um, this girl didn't pay. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the show should have shown her, like, catching that Ruby stole it after the fact i was just very hung up on like she hasn't stolen it yet she put it in her purse and you haven't walked out of the store yet like right. you can prevent this from happening yeah if she had like if they were out on the street 
and she saw Ruby pull out a lipstick that she knows they didn't just buy, then I can really see, like, not letting on that you know and telling Hank. And This way, though, felt a little harder to call. I felt like she kind of did let on that she knew by saying, right after <laughs> she took it, do you want to get a, you know? And the way I felt about it, I kind of weirdly related to Sarah a bit. Sarah usually has a really good rapport with everyone really, but, but teenagers, especially, you know, she's very close to both of her kids. I think her kids, friends and partners liked Sarah. I think she's really good at it. In fact, she used to be really good at it with Ruby, you know, back before they were dating and everything. Oh yeah. I think she might be so taken aback by how rude Ruby is that it's like kind of tripping her up and she's not sure how to be herself just, just in this moment. That's how I feel when a student is like over the top rude to me. It happens so rarely. And usually I'm just getting along with students very, very well. We have a great rapport. It's fun. There's like a lot of laughter in my classroom. And I tell you, I know exactly what to say most of the time with that age group. But if someone shuts me down like that, like, Last week, a student just like was on his phone and wouldn't get off his phone. And I was like, um, w- would you, you know, p- please get off your phone? And he just like snapped at me so hardcore. He's like, I'm not going to. Like, it was just so, oh, that I just like literally didn't know what to do because most people just put it away or, you know, are like, all right, all right, you know, like begrudging or whatever. And he just didn't. And I mean, I like, I should have probably sent him to the office or I probably, I should have done a million things, but I just sort of like let him stay on his phone because I was so like taken aback <laughs> that I'm like, all right, I'll just teach everyone else. You just be off on that island. Um, and I think my worry was always, although this is off topic because Ruby and Sarah are alone. My worry was always that students would be like, cool, she's allowing it. I'll just get out my phone and I would lose everyone. That's not really what happens because I think everyone sees like, God, that, that was really rude. I don't want to be like that. And they they almost just are like extra (laughs) invested and nice after Mm -hmm. that. And they seem to get why I'm not pursuing or getting into like a, what would you call that? Like a control like a battle of like you just don't want to get into that contest of wills yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah you don't want to get into like a back and forth like that and i think that maybe that's what sarah is thinking like not worth it i'm she is being so rude i'm just gonna let this go and you know what i bet she's thinking if we get stopped on our way out that is a natural consequence and it didn't happen because i reported it it happened because somehow they caught it. And if they don't catch it, then I'll talk to Hank. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if she's just thinking all those potential pathways, you know, forward. So. Well, now I have to ask, have either of you ever shoplifted? No. No, not intentionally. I think there have been times where, you know, you do the self-checkout and mm-hmm. then you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't scan this. Oh, yeah. That's you know? interesting. I think I think I've had like one or two moments of that where, you know, you're scanning away and then all of a sudden like you get home and you're like, oh, no, I I had two of these and I did not scan both of them. Yeah. And then who's going to go back, I guess, and like retroactively, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like I bought two PlayStations and I, <laughs> <laughs> I only scanned one. Oh, no. <laughs> Oops. I'm using it said the weight matched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never, I, I don't have the bravery. 
Like, the way she put it in her bag, I just thought, now, like, did you look and figure out where the cameras were and turn in such a way? Or, But I'm like, well, but don't they have the camera set up so that there is no way you can turn where you're facing away from it? I just would be so certain that I would get caught that I would never, I've never even been tempted to try. Like, no. I I'm, was also, like, wondering, do you think that she wanted Sarah yes. to catch her? Uh, I think on some better, level. Better question. Yeah. I mean, I think she or just like as a test, or maybe doesn't yeah. care. Like, I think she's just in a bad place, and probably wants someone to help her. But she's also not wanting anyone to help her, so she's pushing everyone away. But like, she needs someone to help her, so she's probably just behaving really erratically. Like, well, and I, I was thinking like, she, I think maybe deep down she wants the attention. She actually wants someone to ask sort of how she's feeling, et cetera. She's maybe trying to incite that in yeah. Sarah. And then again, it's like interesting that that Sarah doesn't bite at it because I feel like she usually does. But see, it's so fascinating to me because Sarah's like trying to have a talk with her at the beginning and Ruby yeah. shuts it down and is like, we don't have to talk. We can just shop. But I think you're still right because, okay, like, you know, one of my favorite books ever is The Catcher in the Rye. This is Holden Caulfield. I mean, like, he lies to everybody, pushes everybody away, but he's, like, desperate for human connection, but, mm. like, doesn't know what to do with human connection, so he's sabotaging it constantly. And I think it's just, like, a really interesting and, and I think believable thing for, like, if someone, especially someone young who doesn't, like, fully understand everything they're feeling and, and just, like, the depths of their anger and why they're so angry... I, I think it's very believable, but I do think that those people often behave in really like contradictory ways that, that just, sure. yeah. Like if you want this, just go get it. But like, you're not sure you trust Sarah. You don't feel comfortable. You don't want to just have some corny conversation. Mm -hmm. So how is someone supposed to help her? I don't think e even Ruby knows. Mm -hmm. And so I think she's just like trying shit out, seeing what happens. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that Hank says, he has that line where he says, well, she never does that with me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also such a natural thing to say in one of these situations is like when you hear of somebody doing something so unexpected or you are responsible for their actions in some way yeah. and then you hear a report back and it's not a great review yeah. Uh it's so it's so hard if you didn't see it happen. Like you want to you want to hear word for word, you want to see it, you want to you want to have that moment yourself in order to verify it and when you can't that's such a natural reaction to be like, well, that's never happened with me. Right. <laughs> yeah. I also have a weird question for you guys, which is, do you think that people shoplift as often in real life as they do in TV and movies? Like, to me, it always seems like this is how we know someone's bad. They shoplift. <laughs> like, the way that Amber smoked. This is Ruby smoking. She's, you know, shoplifting. I don't know. Like, maybe people do this constantly, but I feel like I don't really know that many people who, like, shoplift or, or even used to shoplift. But then I think, I don't know, even Winona Ryder shoplifted and she was, like, rich you know like that seemed like some sort of like call for <laughs> help back in the day I have a feeling that it's one of those things that because I would never do it uh, I just assume I right. no one does but probably 
And thus, it probably happens a lot more than I think. I bet you're exactly right. And like, I've never worked, like did when you worked like at Hastings, which was like a video rental and yeah. bookstore place, did you have, have shoplifters? We did. Yeah, you're right. Pretty we did. regularly? Yeah, CDs mostly. Yeah. Yeah, we would I get, feel like that. Yeah, we would get people opening up the CD cases and just taking the CD out. Like, that would be their <laughs> way of doing wow. it. Yeah. It takes a long time to get into those puppies. They would mostly do the used CDs so that those were not shrink-wrapped. People were pretty smart. Now I feel like I'm just giving people tips on how to (laughs) shop. There's very few CD stores anymore. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Eric, did you ever work somewhere where people shop? I worked for, I won't say their name because they'll probably come after us, but like I worked for a very, very large tech company that sells very nice pieces of hardware Mm. i bet you own one of them wow and when they told us we like had to take like a loss prevention or like theft type of thing all as a group every year and when they told us globally now this company is like everywhere but like globally the like millions and millions of dollars that they lose to theft i wanted to like sink in my my seat I was shocked by wow. how much they lose just on theft. I bet you're right. This happens all the time. Yep. And I just don't do it. So I'm like, you know, I do that all the time. I'm like, nobody does heroin because I don't do heroin. You yeah. Know? Like, I do no, too. Nobody does these things. People do these things. Yeah. 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 And it's so prevalent that even as workers, we had to have our bags searched. Oh, wow. As we, as we left for the night. And then there was like a class action lawsuit that like they couldn't do that. Like that's, that's like against employee, you know, relations type of stuff. So wow, bizarre. Yeah. All I steal are people's hearts. <laughs> <laughs> Ruby's not doing that. <laughs> no. Stealing my patience. Well, anyway, okay. let's discuss Sandy's reaction. Something did come up though, maybe. Might have happened. What might have come up? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't sound like Ruby. Um, Sarah, you know, she might have saw it wrong. I wasn't there, so I Whoa, don't wait. Know. Why, why was she with Sarah alone? She was, Well, they went out because I was working. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. So then you decided to pawn her off on your girlfriend. I didn't pawn anybody off, okay? I was just, they're getting to know each other. That's, uh, Sarah says that's important. Okay, that's great. Sarah thinks it's important that she get to know our daughter, whereas I think it's important that you do. Okay, this is all coming off the rails here, all right? And it, 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 nothing probably happened. Sarah probably saw it all wrong. Okay, just look, so. what did Sarah think that she saw? Ruby might have tried to steal some lipstick, but that doesn't sound like her, right? So... Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it probably didn't happen, but I just thought... She is out of control. And she doesn't stop. I I don't know what happened. I... I, I, Wait, so what? She's stolen before? What part of our daughter being in distress did you not understand? Oh, great. This is why I moved back here, Hank. She steals now. She's at a crossroads. The stealing, the talking back, the sneaking out. This is... And now she sneaks out, too. She needs a father! I know that. Do you? Because I think if you did, then she would have been with you and not the woman that you are sleeping with. Listen, I just, I feel like you're just, you're not getting this, so I'm just gonna lay down the law here. When Ruby is with you, she is with you, okay? I don't even want Sarah around. Do we understand each other? 
All right, don't just nod your head. I hate it when you do that because I know that you're not really hearing me. I need you to say it. I need you to say it, Hank. I need you to say it out loud. I'm trying, you know, I'm really trying. Yeah. Well, you're just gonna have to try a little harder. Before we get into Sandy's reaction, I want to- Which is nuts. Okay, sorry. (laughs) I want to draw a little attention to how she is handling what is probably an autistic trait. Mm. And she says, don't nod your head because then I don't, you're not really hearing me. I need you to hear you say it out loud. Yeah. And she kind of like browbeats into that, contrasting that to Sarah going, Hank, register, register, (laughs) like lighthearted. Or when she says, do you want to maybe talk about it later? Very loving. Yeah. And like, oh, Sandy is knows she has to deal with the same issues. So she knows the guy she married. She knows that he's sometimes not hearing her yeah. and is distracted. But she is far past the point of handling it fun or lovingly. It's <laughs> repeat after me, <laughs> you loser. I, I don't mean to defend Sandy, but because I don't like her at all. I hate her. Um, but I do think this is interesting to consider. Does she have any idea that Hank might be on the spectrum? Because when I... Oh, uh, that's not what I was saying. Yeah. No, no. I I know that you're not. But like, if Sarah has it in her head that Hank is perhaps on the spectrum, then she is behaving in ways that like are like strategies, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Sandy is talking to Hank like... How do I deal with this asshole? Um, who she, never listens, who never to, me. listens yeah. to me. And I, it makes all the difference. I mean, you know, if, if you and I had like acted like if it was, a, a, you know, if we had spoilers on this podcast and when Hank first came on, we the whole time were like, now this comes off like an asshole move, but we know that he had, but we didn't. So we just kept going, wow, what an asshole <laughs> again and again. Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, I think that's interesting too. And of course, he, I don't think, feels comfortable enough with her to tell her what he's experiencing, although it might be very helpful if he did, because maybe she would have more patience with him and examine her own behavior, which she needs to. So, yeah. That. But yeah, really good point that I hadn't even thought of, like just to compare and contrast those two women's like reactions with him and the way their treatment of him. But beyond that, what did you think? You said her reaction was nuts. I mean, it's it's Anna Nardini. Did you watch Gilmore Girls, um, Eric? Did you like? Yes. Yes. What is up with all these people telling Lauren Graham that she's not allowed she's to hang out the with their yeah, like not... teenage daughter? Yes. <laughs> what? She's not even allowed. You know that woman you're dating who great with kids? Keep her away from my. Yeah. That's like crazy. When she says, "I don't even want Sarah around," I'm like, "What?" Or when she was like, "The woman you're sleeping with," I'm like, "What if I describe my husband?" that way like the man you're sleeping with I'm like it's my husband I mean it's his girlfriend it's not like that feels very different to me and she knows that but I I I truly don't understand what the problem is for her to take Ruby across the street to a drugstore except you know Ruby shoplifted so I guess that's the problem but that's not a problem with Sarah um yeah what is her problem like this feels very manufactured for tv to me but then then I have to admit I've never been in a situation like this. Maybe these things do get very tricky and people are incensed about who gets yeah, to hang out with I their d- kid. I don't know. I think it 
It, I think they do. I yeah. think there there is that. Wow. I definitely have friends going through that now, but it's because like they have a child that's like very young. Yeah. Very, 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 very young. And the relationship is is so fresh. But it's like, you know, in this case, like they are so close. They like work together. You know, Sarah is clearly not a monster. Yeah. <laughs> like she's fine. It's she has kids of her own. Like Ruby is older. She's she can, you know, make her own judgment of whether or not Sarah's a good influence on her or not. Yeah. Like there's just so much wrong with her saying like. I don't want her around ever at all. Like yeah. that's that's really unreasonable. She went from like we have to do this together, you have to play your part, you have to do better, blah blah, blah to like just being really unreasonable about it. Yeah. In, in less than 2 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to be reasonable and like to give her the benefit of the doubt a little bit. I get that Sandy might not like Sarah mm-hmm. or sure. might not want to have to get to know her. Like, you yes. know, that just feel like, you know what? This person is not a part of my life and I'm not really looking for her to be. So please don't loop her in. I get that. And then I also really do get not wanting her to have an influence on her daughter and not wanting to leave your child with the non-custodial parent only to find out that there's any amount of time that that parent is just sending them off with someone else. Like, yeah, okay, I get that you wouldn't like that. That's well put, yeah. But she ought to know that Sarah's not just the woman that Hank is sleeping with. Yeah, it's very dismissive. If she's honest with herself, like, that is a mischaracterization of who she knows Sarah to be. And then I also think, like, Sarah's presence is hardly Ruby's biggest threat right now. Yeah. Like Sarah alerted your ex-husband to this very fact, which to cover something else I think Sandy was unreasonable about. How exactly was Hank supposed to intuit that Ruby being in distress explicitly meant that she was stealing? Like yeah. Sandy's like, how could you not know that she would do something like this? Because you never said anything, Sandy. You just saying <laughs> she got in with a bad crowd. What does that mean specifically? What does that mean? I mean, she's shoplifting. You should just say that. And if you know Hank like you seem to, you ought to know he's not going to read between those lines in any kind of way. Yeah. He's going to understand exactly what you tell him. It did just all feel contrived and that they were like trying to make her out to be a monster. Like, well, you were successful, but I also feel bad like for the actor and the character a little bit. Yeah. Because it feels like not a very multidimensional agreed and she said that she got into the wrong crowd with into a wrong crowd in minnesota which is so blasphemous (laughs) (laughs) it just doesn't i mean it literally doesn't exist it's it's probably the most false line in parenthood history really that's true why did they move to the friendliest part of the country to have ruby get into this bad crowd those mean streets of minnesota that's a good point i guess it can happen anywhere they're dispelling stereotypes they don't want it to you know like there are bad crowds everywhere i suppose i don't know well aside from the i don't want sarah even seeing her which what? Like like we said, feels a little contrived. I thought this was a good storyline. Yeah. Just in terms of 
what is Sarah's role mm-hmm. in this family? Like, mm-hmm. Does she get to discipline Ruby? Should she be expected to? And then how does Hank balance these competing factors? And like, well, that's all interesting. Yeah. And it's nice to see an example of like, how is Ruby's behavior actually manifesting? Like her being rude is annoying. Yeah. But is it really like some great problem that needs to be solved? Her stealing is much more concrete. Like, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, that you got to stop that. Yeah, <laughs> that, I can't, can't, that can't continue. Yeah, I will say, I think maybe that's what disappoints me about Sandy going next level and being like, I don't even want Sarah around because I think I sort of ignored all her legit comments that you pointed out, Caleb, that really do make sense. Like, if she's with you, I want you to actually be spending time with her and not doing that thing you do where you're like tuning it out and you're just focused on your work and your daughter's unhappy because you told her five hours ago you'd take her to the mall. That is legit. But it's kind of, we've talked about this before. Like Crosby had legit concerns about Jasmine being too controlling, but then Crosby went ahead and slept with Gabby. And so (laughs) like all his legit concerns fly out the window. This is like a version of that where I just tuned out anything that Sandy said that might've made sense because she just like ends on such a bizarre, crazy note that I'm like, okay, well, nothing you say is valid now. And that's kind of a bummer because I think it was so close to, I think it would be a more interesting storyline if it wasn't like, oh, Sandy's the bad guy and Sarah's the good guy. Right. Yeah. Well, and from Sandy's perspective, it's like, and I think that this was what you were alluding to as well, Caleb, was like, from her perspective, she's been putting in a lot of the the legwork here of parenting. And so then I'm guessing she hasn't had a whole lot of time to think about maybe going out and dating new people, et cetera. And so now she sees Hank uh, with someone. And not only is she a little bit maybe jealous of that and maybe seeing him in a different mood and different spirit, but then also she's watching him uh, introduce their daughter to this new girlfriend as well as pawning her off in a in a bit of a way that's a good point all of all of that combined you start to really resent that person pretty quickly yeah so that that is very well put i get i get it when you say it like that yeah i just i wish the show had been it's like my only complaint i think about the whole episode i did like just show us that a little bit more. But, you know, we're not always walking around acting like our best selves. Sometimes we just snap, you know. Ruby was just so rude to her mom like five seconds ago. I I don't know how I would behave if that was my constant interaction with a person. You know, like, oh, did you have fun? I'm not five or whatever she says. Yeah. Like, God, I would not probably be happy for anyone's relationship or life either. Be like, everything is horrible. I'm miserable. So the closest I feel like I can relate is like fairly soon after my parents divorced, my dad was in a relationship with someone else, now his now wife, but she, and she had a large extended family of her own with like grandkids and things that he would try and tell me and my sisters all about. Yeah. And you know, none of us, I think had anything personal against any of these grandkids, you know, they didn't do anything. Right. But it was just like, why do you think we want to hear about this? We're not interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's your life. Fine. Go live it. Hope you're happy. 
I'm not all that interested. And that's where I can kind of cut her little slack when she says like, I don't even want Sarah to be around that. Maybe she doesn't literally mean it, but if it's just like, you know, if I had my way, Ruby would come over to hang out with you and it would just be the two of you until the second I come back. Mm -hmm. Again, I wish she would acknowledge that or that they would somehow indicate she's saying this in a moment of frustration. She doesn't literally mean Sarah can't be around, but I feel like the show is actually literally saying that. Like, uh oh, what are they going to do now? Sandy doesn't want Sarah ever to be around her. And since it is April Nardini, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, and since three years ago, Gilmore Girls did the exact same thing, and it was legit. You can't ever see my daughter ever. That's it's a trigger apparently for me. It's a very specific weird trigger when. Lauren Graham is told she can't hang out with the teenage daughter of whoever she's dating. Yeah. So anyway. Well, let's shift to another character who's a bit of an outsider and I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about them. I bet I know who you mean. Take a stab. Chris. (laughs) Okay. Adam just talked to my mom. They haven't even taken him into his room yet. Why is this taking forever? Hmm. I wouldn't worry about it. Your old man's a tough guy. He's going to be all right. Well, I mean, he seems tough, you know, from what you've told me about him. And that one time I met him, he seemed tough as hell. When did you meet him? You did not meet my dad. Mm -hmm. I distinctly remember that I did not introduce you to my parents because my dad has a way of making introductions Mm -hmm. to boyfriends very memorable. Mm -hmm. You don't remember because it was before we were dating. It was our freshman study group in your dorm room. Ah, you remember now, don't you? Yes, I completely mm-hmm. blocked that out. Uh, he couldn't figure out where you were, so he was just walking around the complex screaming your name. Yelling, yeah, Julia, damn it. <laughs> and then he found your complex, and he walked right in your apartment with your final survival kit. Candy. A huge box. Huge box of candy. Mm-hmm. And a GoCal t-shirt, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. That is <laughs> definitely my dad. He will not to this day admit that I went to Stanford. Well, I thought it was pretty cool that your old man drove across the bay just to bring you a box of Twizzlers. My favorite study snack. Yeah. It still is. I know. How do you remember this? It's crazy detail. It took me six months to get the courage to ask you out. I mean, in five dates, you blew me off because you told me that you had to focus on school. I was very focused. You were indeed very, very focused. You were very adorable, too. Adam again. You should take that phone call. Yeah. Give me a kiss. Bye. I'll see you later. Okay. You know, I maybe have to retract what I was going to say because I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about him or how the show would like me to feel. I think they're actually laying it on pretty thick. I think (laughs) they want you to like Like him or at least recognize that he's a decent guy. He's remembering this story about Zeke and all these details and he pursued her so much it took him courage to get up the guts to ask her out. And, you know, I had initially written down, if they're trying to make us like him, I'm left wondering why they aren't going way farther in that direction. Have him be a saint while Zeke's in the hospital like Alex was. Make him really funny and charismatic like Mark. But then when he sends that survival kit later on, I thought, well, that is very thoughtful. Yeah. And I thought that was really sweet. And I kind of liked that he didn't show up in person. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, know your level. You're not there yet, but you can yeah. send a thing and say, and show your thinking of her. And that's very sweet. So I don't know. But I still, I feel like his introduction before this episode was very like, 
does he have any personality? I think it's maybe kind of gross. He's just good looking. And I don't know. What do you guys think about Chris? I think that he comes off. I think it might be just the, and no offense to this actor, whoever this actor is, but I think it might just be that the actor gives off uh, some, possibly somebody who's maybe hiding something Hmm. or like is more of a jerk than, than he lets on to be. He's one of these people that like does really, really, um, elaborate things uh that that appear really good and really good intentioned etc but then there's like this whole other side to them that's like really controlling and whatever it may be you know but why why that is for me as a viewer I'm not sure I think it's like the way the actor portrays it um it's like the it's like his his delivery like his voice and also like the wardrobe too like the it's suspenders just, yeah the suspenders i mean it looks like he's he just got done from a scene of guys and dolls <laughs> <laughs> you know you raise a really good point and not to pile on the actor but jason ritter never played mark as anything less than kind of lovable yeah, DB right. Woodside never played Doctor Joe. Yeah, as a, not maybe not as lovable, but as kind of swoon worthy. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, you're just a knight in shining armor. Yeah, this show knows how to portray idealized male romantic <laughs> figures. Yeah, and they're not doing it with this one. Even though I think they are trying to demonstrate he's not a creep. No, but he's not. I mean, he ain't no contest for Joel. <laughs> that's right, I and I think that's, and probably, that's probably that's probably their intention, right? Is they just they had to do something to make sure that he's not as lovable as Joel, and and he doesn't, from your perspective as a viewer, he he just doesn't feel like a Joel, you know? Yeah. But they want to make him lovable enough so that you feel like you understand where Julia's coming from. And so they kind of meet you in the middle, which is kind of this confusing place. I thought maybe the best way to describe how I feel about Chris is like the fact that he and Joel both say an identical line to Julia, which is Zeke's a tough guy. He'll be okay. But Joel knows Zeke and Chris doesn't. And so I think... I don't even think it's like Chris's fault or or, or the actor's fault or anything. I, I He isn't my type at all. Like I am much more likely to be drawn to like a, like a Jason Ritter right. or like Mark. Like right. even though objectively, I think this guy's better looking. But for me, it's not that. It's like the humor and the like, you know, self-deprecation and the banter and like the just good heartedness that you can tell a person has. And of course, looks matter to an extent, but like Jason Ritter was certainly cute enough, right? So I'm like, yep, you got all <laughs> yeah. that. And then and then I'm in. I feel like this guy is just cute and that's it. I mean, even when he says nice things, I'm not really like taken because it doesn't, I don't think he's lying, but it doesn't feel imbued with like real emotion or... or oh, and I, I think that that's like super intentional on their you part. You think so? That- yeah. In write, in writing the exact same line for both of them. Yeah. And the way that that Julia digests it is very different. 
you can just see it in her when when joel says it i mean she even says it over the phone later that it's just too hard right Mm -hmm. like the minute that he he empathizes with her like that and whatnot it's too hard for her like she she's so connected to it that and he's so he's so good at it and it's why she loved him in the first place that she's like i can't i can't do it yeah. You know. Yeah, I thought that contrast was so brilliant. It really yeah. was. To show cuz for all the reasons you both said. And it's because neither knew about the other. Mm-hmm. So they weren't even in any kind of pissing contest with right. the, with each other. Right. Yeah. It wasn't right. that. It was like and from Chris's perspective, I think he was just trying to be supportive. Like right. it's a very kind thing to do and then he even goes on to say like well i did meet your dad and i do have a memory of him yeah so it's not even from a completely disingenuous place it only feels that way when set aside joel who's like a member of zeke's family and has years upon years of history with him it's like oh yeah Oh, Chris, it's just it's kind of sad <laughs> that you thought that that was a nice thing to say because it yeah. but that's mean the, anything. But, but that's it, is that like when Chris says it, he's doing it for himself to prove yeah. a point that like, hey, I knew I you, knew I knew your dad, I, blah, blah, blah. And later when Joel says it, he says it solely because he knows that Julia's having a hard time. You're so Very right. Good point. Oh my gosh, Yes. There's an element of the Chris storyline that I feel like they were beginning to explore in this storyline, and then they shut it down, which is that Julia herself was aware of the fact that Chris was taking this more seriously Mm -hmm. than she wanted Mm. to. Yeah. And I thought, well, that is very interesting and feels very believable and makes me more on board with the idea of her being in a relationship, period. Yeah. Because we've... Melissa and I have said how very perplexed we are that <laughs> Julia was like in such a rush to see other people. And I thought you didn't even want the marriage to end. Like Joel was the one who wanted to break away from this. Mm. It would kind of make sense to me if he was like, you know what? I got to date someone else for a little bit and see how I really feel about you. The fact that Julia is like champing at the bit. <laughs> if he dated another guy's like, what? I know. And if she then got in a relationship with one who was like falling in love with her, and she realized, oh, kind of like she did with Ed. That's true. I'm not ready to be in love with someone. I'm just ready to receive attention from someone. Yeah. I kind of feel good about myself again. Yeah. But I'm not ready for all of that. But then it seemed like after the little survival kit, she said, I think I like him. And then on the phone with Joel that she felt compelled to share I'm seeing someone to me felt like an admission of. And it's getting serious. It's getting serious enough that I'm going to tell you about it Yeah, mm-hmm. for the express purpose of toning your advances down. Hi, hey. how are the kids? No, they're, they're great. I was just calling to see if the, there was an update on Zeke. Um, no, it's been six hours though. So hopefully something soon. Okay. And how are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, hanging in there. Yeah. You know, it's okay if you're not. I'm I'm fine. Really. It feels like I can hear it in your voice. Do you need to get outside? You know, I know you don't want to cry in front of your mom, but it, you know, if you need to, I'd be happy to meet you somewhere if you just need to talk or or whatever. 
Joel, it's too hard. What? Just you asking me how I am and wanting to be there for me and it's confusing. Well, I, you know, I care about you and, and I, I care about the family and, you know, I just want to make sure. Um, I'm seeing someone. Yeah, so I was just, I was just calling to see if Zeke was okay. And um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk later. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the right sound. That's actually what I was gonna say earlier was like I also much more respond to what Joel's doing than what Chris does because even though it's sweet to like remember this obscure story from however many years ago. And to send the exact same care package. I mean, it's very thoughtful. Don't get me wrong. But boy, Joel is just not a grand gesture guy. And neither am I a grand gesture person. He like goes to the hospital and talks with Zeke about baseball. And then he calls Julia to see how she's doing. Mm -hmm. I like just the dependability of that. You know, I, I don't, you know, Joel doesn't strike me as like a send flowers guy or like a, you know, give big speeches guy. He's just like dependable usually you know I think that's actually the whole reason why Julia is so hurt because that's how she thought of him and then she felt like except for when you weren't when you left you know but you have to appreciate that okay okay I'm done um what did you guys think of that actual conversation I have maybe a hot take (gasps) I want to hear your hot take Mm, let's hear it I felt like Joel either didn't hear or completely ignored Julia's emotional boundaries from the last episode where she said, you can't come over and ask me how my dad is and you can't kiss me and you can't comfort me. Wow. And I feel like he just blew right past it. Now I'm, I don't think it's horrible, but it kind of reminds me of end of season two Crosby with Jasmine. Gosh. Where she's saying like, stop pursuing me. And he just won't. Mm. And Ooh, I I no. think it's all coming from a great place. I know Joel loves her. And it's very sweet. But I also, like, he was clearly so hurt once she said over the phone, I'm seeing someone. Yeah. I felt really bad for him. But I also thought, like, Joel, you walked right into that. She told you yeah. things she didn't want you to do. And you're just doing them anyway. And I think you're doing them specifically because you think it'll wear her down. Damn. So she has to like pull out this secret weapon, which is Chris. And it's like, now will you leave me alone? Yeah. This is all confused though, by the fact that I think Julia is wrong. Like I think (laughs) she's more wrong about the marriage. I don't think what needs to happen here is, Oh gosh, if Joel would just hop too. No, I think Julia has never grappled with how she brought about the demise of her own marriage. Right. But I still feel like Joel, you know, listen to what she's saying. I did write in my notes, is it unfair that Joel is coming around kind of out of nowhere? And the way that 
we say that Julia isn't good at communicating. Joel isn't being very good at communicating. I mean... Yeah, I guess maybe I just wish if he wants to get back together, I want him to say that. And maybe say why. Like... Yeah. Because here on the phone, he's like, well, you know, I care about you. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't last year. You were so angry. And she's the same person because she's done zero reflecting. (laughs) (laughs) No growth. No growth at all. So she's the exact same. So why now do you want to get back together? And I think that is that is the most frustrating part about Joel's end of things right now. Because I think I was looking at it largely from, well, Julia wanted Joel back and she rushed into a, a relationship with someone else and she, she, she's annoyed that he's coming around when she should just be happy that what she wanted to happen is happening. But, yeah. but another way to look at that is, yeah, but how can she trust it? What made him change his mind he should maybe tell her what made him change his mind. I mean, if he's going to pursue her at all, instead of just, yeah, calling and saying, how are you doing when she explicitly said not to, maybe he should like really gather up all his thoughts and say what's changed for him. If it's just as simple as we are who we are and I thought I would be happier without you and it turns out I'm not, I don't really think that either of us can change, but I was definitely happier before or something like, I don't know what it is. I don't, I I would like to know what it is instead of just the show's ending and maybe, you know, like, yeah. What were you going to say, Eric? Well, I think something that might be happening is that he doesn't know yet, or he's just realizing to the fullest extent of it right now, Mm. what that feeling is or what that, what that means to him. Because as I think, all of us know when we go through something like like this, some sort of emotional trauma or family issue where a close friend or a loved one or a partner is near us during that period, it's very hard not to tether yourself to that person, you know, or to sort of go back to that person. So I wonder if just solely the what's happening with with Zeke is sort of bringing him to realize just how much he maybe still loves her, maybe that he truly does want to try to make it work, et cetera. I think he may just be still in that moment, you know? Well, we've talked a lot about how Julia took Joel for granted, but I guess this is making me realize that in some ways Joel also took Julia for granted, you know? Sure. I mean, family, first and foremost, he benefited from such a great family. Like, you know, how many dollars would each of us pay to sit at that Braverman table? (laughs) So many dollars. (laughs) I would love that. Only at the old house. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) It's not the same. Yeah, he needs her family because he apparently doesn't have any of his own. Yeah, where are they? (laughs) Well, his dad's a cheater and his mom's dead. That's that's all all the information we've gotten. So I guess it makes sense. Does he have any siblings? We don't know. You know, we don't. Uh, I'd love to have a brother. Yeah. I mean, what? Uh, But no, I'm I'm glad you you brought up that hot take, Kayla, because I, I do think that is right. I was really letting how much I love Joel color how I was seeing it, but it it is true. I didn't cut Crosby any slack when he, you know, was still coming I mean around. a little bit because he's likable. Yeah. Well, there, yeah. 
Well, also Crosby bought Jasmine a house. It was ridiculous. I think, yeah, that's you know, preposterous. Joel's like, phone call. yeah, Joel's <laughs> calling her, but you're right that she said, you can't comfort me. And then he's trying to do exactly that. Yeah. And I really still think it was really unacceptable that he kissed her in the season six premiere. He should really tread lightly after that, especially. So, yeah. Yeah. It also, though, just goes to show how once things start coming apart, there really can be endless back and forth. Well, you did that. Well, you Mm. could have done this better. Well, you should have communicated that better. Well, you should have reflected on what you did. Well, you shouldn't have overreacted. And how does some, how do you stop that? Yeah. Like how, once it starts, I mean, it's like a car on the ice. Like once you start fishtailing, gosh, it's really hard to crank that wheel and mm-hmm. straighten yourself out. Yeah. And I think at some point it would take both of them saying, you know what? We set aside everything that happened mm-hmm. while we were spiraling and we agree to kind of start fresh. Yeah. I mean, it's something I thought about with Zeke and Camille a lot in this episode. Oh, yeah. Zeke especially was so over the top with his displays of devotion to his wife. Yeah. And yet I bought it because, I mean, we've talked about him facing his own mortality never more head on than this episode. Right. And I thought this would make anyone, especially someone who is so soft in the center (laughs) as (laughs) Zeke. Just be doting and lovey-dovey with his wife. Yeah. But I thought, I love that we've seen so much of their relationship and the highs and the lows. Because it actually makes this all so much more meaningful. Yes. Than if they had only been blissfully happy. Yeah. Well, it's almost time to talk about Zeke. But I had one other little storyline that I wanted to touch on. And that was Adam and Crosby. I thought it was an interesting conflict between them that felt very rooted in something real, which is just people react to stress differently. Yes. Also, it was nice to see Jasmine have a scene. Yes, it was. Even if it only lasted for like 40 seconds. Hey, you okay? Yeah, I just, I couldn't sleep. I was looking at this. What is that? Worst case scenario, what's that about? Adam's in a negativity vortex and he put together this email to scare the crap out of everyone in the family, which is <laughs> now starting to work. Mm, he's just scared, baby. That's how he deals with it. But... That's a big deal, you know? Your dad's having heart surgery. That's okay to be scared. I'm not gonna join him. It's not gonna happen, so I refuse to go down this path with him. And I actually had one thought about that that I think was valuable, which is that Jasmine observes Adam just sent the worst case scenario list because he's scared, and that's how he deals with it. Yeah. And I thought, you know, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, someone newer to the family can identify traits like that in other family members Mm. more clearly than people who are close to it. And she can say, Crosby, don't take this too much to heart. He's venting his own fears Mm -hmm. and you don't have to absorb them. You can just let him vent and you can handle it however you want to. You know what I didn't realize until just now talking about this is that this is maybe a new thing for Adam perhaps brought on by 
Christina's cancer. Because remember how Christina wanted to stay with Dr. Bedslow because he was like direct and she felt really safe with him. And Adam wanted her to just go to like someone who was more positive. Like that, that woman who was just like, how are you feeling? Can I get you a beverage? You know, but like Christina didn't really think that she was going to be very helpful. And I wonder if like that worked for them. And so now that's how he's framing it. Like maybe it like changed him. Steely eyed realism. Or something, you know? I mean, I liked the moment where he explained to, you know, when Adam's like, oh, I hope, you know, Googie Grass got good news. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, Adam, Adam's like, he didn't. And I didn't even think he sounded grumpy or anything. I just think he sounded like I understand some things yeah, that I didn't. Yeah, very to the point. Yeah, a few years ago, and now I sort of get it. So I didn't think he was trying to be just super negative the way that, of course, Crosby would interpret that. I think it's more like, we have to know what we're dealing with. I, I tried to kind of go around it in the past, and it's better to just know what you're dealing with. That's a very good observation. Thanks. I didn't think of it at all until <laughs> until we were talking. And both well-observed the dramatic conflict and the reappearance slash Final appearance no! of one Googie Grass. <laughs> Eric, do you have any idea what we're talking about? <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. Googie Grass is the actor. That man. That man. In yes. the waiting room. Yes, In the waiting room who wanted to hear about the baseball, baseball game. game. <laughs> his name is Googie Grass. For real. That's his name in real life. And over five seasons of Parenthood, he has appeared... Five times. Five times. No. As three separate characters. <laughs> At least. Maybe more. Maybe more. This is just going off of IMDb, okay. which I don't think can be completely trusted. His first appearance was in season two, Orange Alert, the Halloween episode, where he is credited as dog owner. Christine is going around asking everybody to like... Um, put up like fire sticks or lights or something instead of having candles lit because Max is scared of, we don't have to go into this much detail. I don't have to. Okay. Yeah. You know, his second appearance is as a wealthy campaign donor while Christina is running Bob Little's campaign. His name is Jeff Wormley. He gets drunk and is left with Amber to take care of him. Then in the Christmas episode in season four, what to my wondering eyes, he's, Again, credited as Jeff Wormley, but he's dressed up as Santa. He's not Jeff Wormley. He's some random dude playing Santa. That's not. Yeah, but they call, but on IMDb, they call him Jeff Wormley. IMDb is wrong. I think so. Shots fired. Then in election day last season, when Christina is up for mayor, he plays a guy named Doug, (laughs) who Crosby buys a vote from. He says, oh, I didn't get to vote for my sister-in-law. Here, I'll pay you, was it $40 ultimately? (laughs) I think maybe $80. I can't remember. To go vote for her instead of whoever you were going to vote for. Maybe it was 40 He doubled it. And then now he's back again credited as Doug. So they're acting as if this is the same guy Crosby bought a vote from not even a year ago, which I just think wouldn't Crosby recognize that person? And or wouldn't Doug recognize Crosby? Oh, this is that guy who stopped me outside of the polling place and committed voter fraud with me. I pretended like (laughs) I didn't vote for Bob Little, but I totally did. (laughs) Right. Anyway. 
Yeah. So they must love Googie Grass <laughs> because they brought him back five times. And this is sadly or maybe triumphantly <laughs> the final appearance of Mr. Grass. I just love that Caleb. But I digress. I- <laughs> <laughs> That's his wife. I guess. <laughs> Diana Grass. Googie and Die Grass. Oh no. And their their daughter Rhiannon is regress. <laughs> oh no. I love that you went to the trouble of making a little Googie Grass jingle. This is what I'm gonna miss when we're done with this. This is ridiculous. Googie, if you're out there and you're wondering, did I make an impact? Has my work meant anything to anyone? Yep. No, sir. <laughs> that indeed it has. <laughs> You're... We, I wrote a jingle for you because that's how much your work meant to me. Caleb, you said no, sir. What's <laughs> no, K-N-O-W. <laughs> that's good. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. I think that's such a cool point you made about Adam. I just like that they had a callback to him having been in hospitals frequently and recently. Yes. And in fear of losing his own spouse. Mm-hmm. By the by, where was Christina? Yeah. This is where that contractual compromise in season six starts to feel a little weird. Something I've been wondering about that contractual compromise is who does it really affect? Because in every season, most of the cast members are not actually in every episode. Yeah. Like, especially the kids. There's frequently an episode where Sydney is not in it or Jabbar is not in it. And then a little less frequently, the older grandkids like Max and Drew are not in it. Here and there, Amber wasn't even in episodes. Yeah. And then the, the in-laws, well, only Joel and Jasmine. Yeah. Are sometimes not in it. And then the grandparents are frequently not in an episode. But I thought the siblings are never not in an episode. Adam, Sarah, Crosby, Julia. And Christina's never not in an episode. I think this is Christina's first time not being in one, right? I think so. That might be the only people that they were actually referring to (laughs) in this compromise. I actually felt like this might sound nuts because I get that this was like a pivotal moment. And I do think that... Christina would be there. But I I kind of just chalked it up to she is starting a brand new school. She can't be at it, in the waiting room all day and I noticed that only the siblings were there, none of their partners. Yeah. And so, while it was weird, you know, like not to get a scene like Jasmine had with Crosby or, you know, Hank gets an entire storyline, I guess. Um, So that's weird. But I actually was like, you know, I think it's probably for the best they just didn't draw attention to it by mentioning that Christina wasn't there. Because that's when you're like, oh, yeah, why isn't Christina here? Although if they had mentioned it, I guess all they'd have to say is this school is so new. She can't she can't really take a day. Um, Yeah. I thought the same thing, though, because like I noted that. Jasmine did appear in this episode. Like, couldn't she be in the waiting room with the family? But I thought, well, Joel wasn't there and Christina wasn't there and none of the grandkids were there. So it makes sense that the spouses are all off watching the children while everyone else pauses their lives and waits it out at the hospital. Like That makes a lot of sense. Not everyone can just stop their whole lives. In fact, while we're talking about this, sometimes when someone is there... That's just as jarring because 
this is a weird thing to say, but at the very beginning of the episode, when all of the siblings show up to Zeke and Camille's house to like hug and everything, I kind of thought it was random that Amber was there and she was the only grandchild. And the whole reason is so that Zeke could like tell everyone she was pregnant. I mean, that's why storyline wise, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense character wise why she was there because why not Drew then? Why not, you know, like if it's just the older cousins, you know, I, I just, it didn't really, it was only so that he could do that. I'm pretty sure the show just needed that moment. So it felt yeah. kind of random, like, oh, here she is. So we can shoehorn this moment in. <laughs> right. Anyway. Well, before we leave behind the Adam Crosby storyline. Yeah. I want to mention that I vividly remember mm. Crosby's random, angry motorcycle ride. Yes. Very well. First of all, because it makes no sense and it feels like it lasts so long. Yeah. But I timed it and it seems like it actually only lasts about 50 seconds. But that's 50 seconds of just him on, on a, a motorcycle bike, taking tight turns. And I know that Dax Shepard is like a big bike guy in real life. I wonder if it was kind of for him just to like get some footage of him riding a bike. Although the crash is not him. Did you notice that? Yeah, they blurred out his face. I'm like, but <laughs> yeah. where is Crosby going? I mean, he's not going to Albuquerque, is he? No. That's who that's he just got off the phone with Oliver and that's where Oliver was. Yeah. You're not doing that. You're just going on a fast drive to nowhere. And then because I was on a parenthood death watch. Death watch. <laughs> all I could assume was that we were lingering on this motorcycle ride because something bad was going to happen. And then it suddenly felt like it made sense. The irony of sitting in a waiting room for Zeke to have this scary open heart surgery only for one of the young, healthy Bravermans to get in a random accident and die. I exactly thought that. Boy, they distracted us with Zeke's heart condition because here comes Crosby's going to die. And gosh, how does everyone deal with that? But he was fine. And then I was like, so what is the dramatic value or purpose of Crosby getting injured or even having the motorcycle accident in the first place? I'm not. Like when, he, like when he comes back and Adam notices he's limping and Crosby says, oh, I just tweaked something. As if that's going to become some new storyline. It I, doesn't. I think it does. Does it? Does, does it? it? I mean, I don't think it's over. I, I think something happens with that. And Honestly, oh, I, I don't, don't remember then. So, but I I may not remember. That could I be. also don't remember, but I just think if nothing gets followed up, it is super random or they just knew we were all on a death watch and they were like, "Let's mess with everybody," which doesn't feel very on brand for this show. It doesn't. I, no. No. I agree with you both that it's just it was so pointless. It is not one of the shining moments of this episode, you know, even though the really horrible lingering close up on his face as he like revs the engine of his motorcycle. It's like, come on. (laughs) I also swear that those are very recognizable L.A. roads. Like. (laughs) I can't remember where I stayed when I was there on tour. We were housed somewhere in Burbank and there's like a park near there that has these like winding roads all through it and around it. And I would swear, I'm like, he's on those roads, right? And, and like <laughs> anyone in LA would know 
Well, they just like went to their backyard and filmed <laughs> us on these empty streets and uh, I don't know. I do think that maybe it had some emotional resonance, you know, like it's just building and bottling and this is how it affects one of the, you know, kids. But I'm kind of grasping at straws because really my favorite thing that Crosby did in this episode was how fixated he was on paying attention to the game because he wanted to tell his dad the score and like tell his dad what happened. I thought that was really subtly done and really beautiful and why it made sense that Adam's like, you're just paying attention to this stupid game. I need to talk to you. And Crosby's like, I got to listen to the game. And like, you could tell that that really meant, yeah, I loved that more than the motorcycle thing. Yeah. Plus I didn't think he was going to die from listening to the game. So yeah. All right. Well, I think it's time to talk about Zeke. All right. And his surgery. We need to talk about Zeke. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Zeke's insistence on the whole wedding ring stuff made me roll my eyes. I mean, I agree that he should be able to keep it on until he absolutely cannot have it on. Yeah. But why do we need to see him tell the poor innocent nurse, <laughs> here's how it's going to go? And I, I was just like, oh, come on. And, and why Camille wasn't stepping in and saying, Zeke, I'll hold on to it. Yeah. You know, like. Do you not trust me with it? Yeah. I won't put it in the closet. Whatever. (laughs) I was also thinking like with somebody of his age, like it's probably very unlikely that he could even get the ring off. Right. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Don't like older guys, like as they, as they get older and they have like calluses on their hands and things like that, like their fingers have, changed in shape and size so much so that like it's hard to get them off huh is that not a thing no i think you're probably right i take mine off all the time because it's really like delicate and so i only i just put mine on when i leave the house so anytime i'm just hanging out podcasting i don't i don't have it on but I know a lot of other people who like do everything with their ring on. They garden, they right. work on their cars, they like shower, they sleep. I, I don't do that at all because I think my ring would get destroyed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I just, um, but yeah, that's an interesting angle that I hadn't thought of probably because I, I don't have that relationship with it. You know, I mean, I love it very much, but I don't think it makes me less married when I'm not wearing it, which is kind of what it felt like with Zeke or something, you know, like it was like a symbol for him or a symbol for their marriage. I really felt it when like, sorry to skip to the end, but when like, that's all right. Is that what you were thinking too? Well, I, I was, I, I wrote down for all that ring bullshit. It really paid off in that final moment. It did. It, it worked for me having him wake up once it was on his finger. I'm like, maybe that's a bit too much, but I was already going with it. Yeah. Like, this feels like a fairy tale. It's like, Snow White or Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> she puts it on and he awakens. Yeah. But I'm like, wow, that's really beautiful. It is. Or like it felt to me like a renewing of vows because she was talking to Julia about, for better or worse, sickness and in health, this is the vow. And then she just puts his damn ring back on like like they were getting married again or something. And so I thought, okay, that does check out. How good is that scene when he he is about to go into the operating room. Oh my God. So good. (laughs) Crazy good. For him to admit he's scared. I'm like, I can't handle a world where Zeke Braverman is scared. Like nothing makes sense if he's scared, you know, and, and 
that was really powerful and good. And she yeah. didn't even say anything back to him, which rang really true in the moment because she was so clearly there for him right. and with him. So it's not like, she, you know, she froze up or something. I think it's just like, what can you say? Yeah. Here I am. That's all you need yeah. to know. And if I had to pick an MVP of the episode, I think it would be Bonnie Bedelia. Well, because, she was incredible. I mean, all throughout it. But then right after that, once he's gone. Yes. And she's alone in the hallway. God. It was this moment of vulnerability when she was left alone. And it felt like we as the viewers understand her enough to know she won't allow herself to do that in front of any of her kids. Right. Yes. There's that she moment doesn't of yeah. her like breaking down. And then you see her very quickly switch back to, okay, now I have to go back to being a mother. Yeah. And she changes and then the scene ends, which is just incredible. Yeah. And it feels like exactly who she is. Mm-hmm. And, yes. But she is only human. Of course, she's going to need that moment of, of breakdown because yeah. she's scared too. Yeah. Who wouldn't be? Yeah. And like I said earlier, that's where the stakes from a long running relationship are just so much deeper than a fledgling relationship. Like yes. to put up that kind of drama versus like, oh, are Sarah and Mark going to stay engaged? I mean, I love Sarah and Mark yeah. and I loved that whole storyline, but I just thought this is it pales in comparison to is my husband of 40 whatever years right going to go die in that room right now mm-hmm. and then I'm left without him I, I can feel the weight of all the years of their life together that they have shared yeah and like I said not all good all right. which I think just makes it even heavier it's like well you got through all those rough things and here you are yeah and now is this the thing and that's kind of what she said in that scene with Julia how you doing Well, you know this day's gonna come. You you say it at the altar in sickness and in health. You just hope that uh, you're strong enough. Mom, you're strong enough. Good times and bad. Richer for poor, that's you know, we've been through all that. It's this one, this is the tough one. Oh, I, I suddenly was thinking of her counterpart in the movie, mm. who's like <laughs> not even a character, no. practically, no, and sort of the butt of some jokes yeah. to compare that to this moment where this character is so rich and mm. wonderful. She's like, wow, they really improved on the movie when yeah. it comes to the matriarch. They <laughs> really did. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the, the biggest improvement as far as that goes. Cause like, I mean, character wise, they improved Crosby because he was a horrible, horrible person in the movie, yeah. but here, yeah, just like presence, I guess, and significance. Good point. Gosh, I never would have thought of that. I don't know why I thought of it <laughs> now. Yeah. But we've been doing this podcast so long that we analyzed that movie more than two years ago. Yeah. It's crazy. Speaking of Camille, I loved at the end that they let her go in first and alone. And this is so obvious and it's so natural, but something about the deference that is shown to a spouse before the children is very moving to me. And I, I don't know why. I just think like, yes, that's right. Because <laughs> even 
you all stem from them <laughs> together. That's so, true. So, you know, she she gets the place of honor. If one person gets to go in, it gets to be her. Yeah. And everyone knows it. No one's upset by it. It's yeah. just the way it is. And like, beautiful. <laughs> I love that too. There's that. There's a sense of you as a viewer are not privy to the the sound mm. and there's something about that as a viewer you know there's there's music but you're you're not really picking up on the sounds that are happening in the room or what people are saying things like that and yeah that's such an interesting perspective too you expect it to be i mean it is arguably the most pivotal moment of this episode and you don't hear anyone say anything you know, which yeah. is really interesting. That's very effective. I also was very drawn to Sarah in that final scene. I think because there was no sound and Lauren Graham's face was the most like brazenly expressive. Like she kind of broke down a little bit, seeing mm. him hooked up to all the tubes and stuff. And this, that caught my eye. I'm like, oh, look, oh, look, she's like crying. Oh. But it also made me think this is so random, maybe. She really does feel kind of set apart from the others. Mm. Even as they're walking down that hall and they feel quite united. It's like, well, here's Camille and her children going to see Zeke. Yeah. This is the family that has been from the very beginning. And Sarah just feels like a little bit at a remove. And I know that she has sometimes felt that way. Yeah. But usually because of achievements and stuff like that. When everyone else went to college, I don't know that Crosby went to college, but <laughs> maybe he did. Or I'm not everyone sure. else is like married and I'm not. And everyone else lives in their own place. And it took me a long time to, I don't know. And maybe I was just reading into it. And I don't know if it's something that Lauren Graham is playing, like trying to convey, but I picked up on it whether it was there or not no i love that i did not but i believe it hearing you say that i mean i do think i mean i think about that line in the pilot all the time when zeke's like and to sarah my shining angel like that is that is his favorite (laughs) you know that is uh that's really something and I love that because you wouldn't think that the one who is arguably the biggest screw up, but like it also, you kind of see it in how affectionate he is with Amber. Um, I just was thinking that in that yeah. first scene when he says, you're an amazing girl, sweetheart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. Oh. And they're so each other. I mean, <laughs> they're Sarah yeah. and Amber, like where's the line between them even? So. Well, taking care felt like a theme to me in this episode the various ways in which characters tried to do it and then succeeded or failed. Mm. Like I thought Hank is struggling to take care of Ruby, but he's trying very hard. Joel is trying to take care of Julia and is being asked not to. Yeah. Amber is realizing that in order to take care of her child, she can't take care of Ryan. Yeah. He has to take care of himself. In getting her to that realization, Drew was taking care of Amber. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the siblings and Camille are all taking care of Zeke or trying to. Oh, and trying to take care of themselves and each other. Damn. While his care is sort of out of their hands. Mm. I think you nailed it. Yeah. 
That's really good. Thanks. At first, I was like, <laughs> what am I going to do? And I don't know. It came to me. It came to you <laughs> as if in a dream. I really loved the episode. I thought it was great. Continuing the season six streak. It's really good. I did not remember it being so good, but I'm loving every episode so far. And I think this one might be the strongest. Eric, do you remember season six as being strong or weak or it's also the season I remember the least, I feel like. So that's part of it. I just, I didn't really have an expectation. Well, that's how I felt when I was watching the episode sort of picked out of the season. You know, I I haven't been watching recently and I, I was struck by just just how vivid some of these scenes were in my memory. Yeah. Once once I started to to experience them, I can only say that, yeah, season six must have been really great because I just so vividly remember some of these scenes once they started happening, where I, I could just really see the conversation between Drew and Amber. I could see the um, the scene between Hank and Sarah, and then I could very vividly remember the the final, well, not final, but the the scene where Zeke is being wheeled off into the room. Yeah. So mm-hmm. clearly, it stuck with me to a point of remembering mm-hmm. it. But um, I think from what I remember coming out of season five and just how heavy some of that was moving into season six, knowing that it was going to be, it was going to be the end. Yeah. Things started to, to happen so quickly that I think in a, in a way they happened so quickly that at times you forgot, yeah. you know, what happened because if you were a true fan of the, of the show, there was never going to be enough time to wrap it up, yeah. you know, That's similar right. to any anyone's favorite show, right? Is like, yeah. you never want it to end. And so therefore, when you're watching it end, uh, you're so fixated on when and how it's going to end that you don't enjoy the ride, you know, as much as you maybe should have. So I kind of, I kind of enjoyed coming back to it and, and really digesting the episode as it was, because when you know it's coming to an end, you're you're just so uh, sad to see it go. Yeah. I think that might be exactly it. I bet I was watching this, and I know I, I watched it twice in the past, but the way I watched it twice was like, watched it live, and then I think right after season six ended, I just rewatched the entire show. And I bet I was just so fixated on the first time, like, well, okay, how's it going to end? What What's going to happen? Yeah. Who's going to die? You know, I was just nervous. <laughs> And then I'm sure the second time I watched it was like just binging it as fast as I possibly could and not really soaking it in. And maybe that's why this time I'm like not worried about how it's going to end. I'm really soaking up not just the show, but like the end of our podcast, honestly. And so maybe I'm just really appreciating it. And it, it really does feel like they're stepping it up, though. I mean, I really do think that these episodes do feel like a return to something. They're like, mm-hmm. like, oh, we're at its, we're at our best when we're all together. Let's put us all in the same room more. You know, I feel like they've done well, that a lot. That's more. something I was just thinking about. These first three episodes have centered around Zeke and his health problems, which require everyone to be together. Yeah, mm-hmm. like we're all together Brilliant. for his birthday and his party and his operation. 
And then I think back to season five and I think, yeah, Joel and Julia were off having their marital problems yeah. completely by themselves. And Christina was off running for mayor and starting the school with Adam. And Crosby was off, I, I don't know, being horrible. Yeah, it was <laughs> awful. Sarah was off <laughs> with Hank and yeah. doing her own thing. You know, like it did feel very fractured. And yeah. And then now, even though it's not totally true, like Amber and Drew were in Wyoming. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. But, it still felt like, but they were so together our with each other. Core is there, yeah, yeah and yeah. they were together, and yeah, it is at its strongest then. Yeah, even with Sandy and Ruby carpet bagging in <laughs> <laughs> Minnesota, whatever. But it's fine. I mean, they they do best, I think, when it has these scenes where the dialogue and and the scene can live live on its own outside of some sort of major occurrence so you know obviously Zeke's procedure brought them there but then it is the situation that then stimulates these scenes uh and that's the bread and butter of of parenthood because parenthood's like all about just really reflecting back to us a lot of the conversations and a lot of the things that we've experienced before in our own lives you know so yeah. they're at their best when they give you one of those moments of ensemble scenes where really not a whole lot is happening other than uh, they are experience something, experiencing something together. Yes. You know? That's so true. I was thinking about it earlier today. Too much plot is not this show's friend. No. That's when, right. When there are big right. twists and things it feels a little soap opera-y. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking, you know, in this episode, what happens? Probably the most momentous actual event. Well, I mean, I guess we do know Zeke goes in, has the surgery, it goes fine. Yeah. Amber tells Ryan she's pregnant. Yeah. And doesn't want him really to be involved. Yeah. But then it's like, what happens with Joel and Julia here? The event yeah. is she tells him she's seen someone. Yeah. Over the phone. Perfect. And what happens with Adam and Crosby? They bicker at each other, and Crosby randomly gets in a motorcycle accident. And I really <laughs> I guess liked... I'm not making the case all that well. Like, oh, motorcycle accident. But things happen. But yeah, but, that, yeah. but that's the but that's it's your point, so right? Small. Is like Ruby that's stole why the motorcycle. Lipstick. That's why the motorcycle feels strange. Yeah, yeah. We don't You're need right. it, and yeah, and out of place because it's like, well, we don't need it. We yeah. just don't. Yeah, you know. What's Camille's big event? She cries alone in the hallway. That's Beautiful. the most yes. momentous thing. Yeah. Yes. Like, that's what we need. That's the yeah. level we're operating on. Yeah. But that's the level most people operate on. It's, yeah. Oh my God, I did exactly. in the hallway yeah. today. No one even saw it, but it was the biggest thing that happened to me. You know yes. what? Crosby's not allowed to cry, so he has to go get in a manly motorcycle accident instead. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, maybe. Although his face through the glass was also very touching yeah. at the end. Yeah. Everyone just did a great job. It was they a great did. Episode. I gotta say, I'm always so hard on Adam. I really did like that. After all that, Adam's like just hugging Crosby, and he says something like, "I could have handled that a lot better." Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Once they know Zeke's okay, then he can apologize. Then he can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I liked that. So yeah. yeah, and I liked talking to you. Aww. 
Both yes, of you. Both of you. Eric, this is this is sad. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's always like, oh, he'll come back, but this is it. This is our last season. Everyone, thank you for listening. Um, please check us out on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Parenthood Pals everywhere. And as always, we're at parenthoodpals.com. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.